Thank you, Daniel. This is the word of the Lord for us today from Luke 5. Here is Levi sitting at his desk. Now, I know you just heard it read, and it said he was sitting at his tax collector's booth. Some translations will say sitting at his tax table. I uh, want to choose that word, sitting at his desk, at his table, at his tax collector booth. Here is Levi, sitting at his desk, his table. Here is Levi, caught, trapped, anxious. Beneath the surface of things, you know how it is, beneath the surface of things, all of you look fairly intact on the surface this morning. I can see you relatively well. Oh, that helps. Yes, you look intact. <laughs> but the truth is, I mean, I, I think I might even look a little intact. The truth is, beneath the surface, all of us are a little or a lot anxious, a little undone, caught, trapped, He's got a lucrative position there at his tax collector table, at his desk, but he's compromised too, caught, trapped, anxious, depressed. Any one of us could be Levi. And it's Jesus who sees them, and I don't mean just notices them in passing as he walks by, but really sees them, looks in his eyes. There's a moment, I imagine, where if I were filming this scene, for a movie or a documentary that I would want to catch, you know, slow the frames down, zoom in a little tighter, where Jesus' eyes catches Le Levi's eyes and they are locked in this moment of recognition and it could have been a moment, but it could have been two minutes. It could have been ten when Jesus sees him. Not just on the surface, all put together, but underneath. All of that. Jesus sees him, and Jesus calls him. Follow me. Familiar words. Jesus will repeat them over and over again as he calls disciples, followers. Come, follow me. But what Jesus is calling him to is not just to trail along behind, but what Jesus is calling him to is to life. He's calling him to hope. He's calling him to a future that perhaps he can't even see for himself. He's so far down the hole, he can't even see for himself. Jesus sees him, and Jesus calls him. And the next thing you know, did you notice? In these few short verses, packed with so much, the next thing that happens is they're at Levi's house, at Levi's table. Don't miss the juxtaposition of the table that Levi has just left, his desk, his booth, and the table at Levi's house. Next thing you know, there they are, gathered at Levi's house, at Levi's table. He's thrown a dinner party, and he's invited a lot of others who probably look all put together on the outside, all intact. But underneath all that, a lot like Levi. Broken, caught, trapped, exasperated, anxious, maybe even a little depressed. 
left out ones. And the whole story turns right there. I just want you to take a few minutes. We're jumping right in to the Word of God today. I just want you to have the sense that the whole story turns right there in that moment at Levi's table. Turns for Levi and the others because there's life and hope. And you know what? It also turns, the story turns, for all those intact-looking church people. Um, hello, church people. Are you with me out there? All those intact, put-together-looking church people who look at Jesus and say, and say something like, um, excuse me, we don't eat with people like that. The whole story turns right there at the table. The whole story turns for you, for me, at tables. Let us pray. God, let your word rest upon us. Let it rest easy upon us in ways that we need it to rest easy upon us. And let it rest heavy upon us in those ways that it needs to rest heavy upon us. Come speak to us. Breathe on us by your word and by your spirit that we might know life and that you might gather us up together. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, how about this? Let's say I make this the shortest sermon in modern history. Can I get an amen? amen. Well, I thought so. <laughs> I suspected that it wouldn't just be Jerry. It's as straightforward as this. If I were writing the script, the program, backslash, backslash, start of sermon. Line one, there is no life apart from the Spirit of God. Got line one? There's no life apart from the Spirit of God. Line two, the Spirit of God brings all things together. That's what the Spirit of God does. It brings, it joins, it reconciles, it brings all things underscore together. Line one. You're supposed to repeat it here. There's no life apart from God's Spirit. Got that? Line two. God's Spirit draws all things together. Line three. When all things are joined, it's at a table. It's at a table. Backslash, backslash, end of sermon. That's the whole thing. Let's stand and sing. I'm, I'm just kidding. You knew I wouldn't do that. But that's it. That's it. It's as simple as that. No life apart from the Spirit. Spirit brings things together when things are brought together, it's at a table, around a table, always. 
When Levi sits down at that table with Jesus in Levi's own house, and Jesus is there, and he's gathered up a bunch of other tattered folks as well. And even the good church people are looking on. When Levi sits down at that table, I'll tell you what he's experiencing. Every bit of it is shot through with the breath of God's Spirit. The full wind of God's presence, drawing everything disintegrated in him together, drawing everything disaggregated around him together. It's shot through with the wind of God's Spirit. It's a wind that blows from the dawn of time. You remember that in the beginning, when God created all things, it's the Spirit that's hovering over the surface of the waters. Before there was anything, it was the Spirit that was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God's breath, God's wind by that Spirit calls forth the good creation in its togetherness. Out of chaos, order. Out of no togetherness, togetherness. Out of disintegration, disaggregation, all things hold together in the beginning. Breathe from the wind of God's breath by God's Spirit in the beginning. It's the wind of God's Spirit that brings life. Can you hear the Spirit blow across Levi's table? And it's Abraham and Sarah, some years later, when God comes to visit them. Three strangers show up on the horizon with news. They think it's just some passers-by. And Abraham rushes out to say, would you stay just a little while? We'll get you something to drink and we'll make you something to eat. And they do. And, and, and huddled there together around food and drink around a table, God speaks a promise into them that they couldn't even imagine. It was so audacious that Sarah even laughed, right? God speaks this promise at the table. And that promise is not only for them, but for all generations that God is calling forth a people to live life together as God intended it. Can you hear the wind of God's Spirit blow from the creation all the way out there to Abraham's tent? And it's those people that God generations later, has raised up as his own people to represent, not for their own sake, but for the sake of the world, God's togetherness for the world, the people of God for the sake of the world. It is those same people who find themselves carted off into exile and oppression and suffering in Egypt under the heavy hand of the Pharaoh. And it's when God raises up Moses to lead them out that they're given the instructions to go, guess what? Make a meal. Because I'm about to do something that will set this right and will give you life and hope. <laughs> 
we come to call it Passover. But it's a table. And it's a meal. And it's the wind of God's Spirit blowing across all of those tables where God's own people are hunkered down under brokenness and heaviness and oppression. It's the wind of God's Spirit that comes and blows and brings life and hope and, a spirit and, and His Spirit. Can you hear the wind of God's Spirit? And a little while later, there's a famine in the land, and there's a prophet named Elijah, and God sends the prophet named Elijah to go on into the town, town and find a little widow lady in Zarephath. And to say to her, would you give me a little water and make me a little bread? in the midst of the famine. And she says, I only got a little and it's about to be used up and then my son and I will die because that's what happens in a famine. She's not being melodramatic. <laughs> She's telling the truth. It'll be used up and then we'll die. And he says, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. You know why he says no? because he can hear the wind of God's Spirit from creation all the way across all those other tables, getting ready to blow across her table too. Can you hear the wind of God's Spirit blow across Elijah's table? You know when the prophet Isaiah will rise up and begin to prophesy over the people of God? He'll say something like this, and if you're jotting down notes, that's great. And if you're not, that's okay too. It's Isaiah 25, and I'm going to read the words to you. Listen what the prophet says in Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, guess what? A feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. He'll make a feast that in the end, when the wind of God's Spirit blows across God's own people and, again, and, and actually across all creation, I'll tell you what it's like if I don't fall off the stage. I'll tell you what it's like. It's like a great feast. It's like a table. Can you hear the wind of God's Spirit blow? Now listen closely. I mean here and now. Because Levi, sitting in that moment, can hear it. Levi's, the truth is, Levi's table is connected to all those other tables. To a wind that God conjures up at creation and blows across Abraham and Sarah's table and Moses's and Elijah's and Isaiah's and on and on. Levi can hear that same wind blow. No life apart from the Spirit. 
the spirit that brings all things and all people together at table, at tables. Years and years ago, I went to visit a church I was intrigued by. I read about them in, I, I may have mentioned this before, in Washington, D.C. This story. And um, I was there, and I, I stumbled into a weeknight worship service of one of the little communities in Washington, the capital, D.C., Columbia Road. And uh, it was called the Friends of Jesus Church. I remember that because that's a good name for a church. <laughs> the Friends of Jesus Church. And the Friends of Jesus Church met in something that was like a copy shop slash bookshop, bookstore. And so you walked into this storefront and they had kind of gathered round tables uh, and, and, and long tables together and put chairs around them and people were seated around those tables and I walked in and someone greeted me and I sat down at a table and I remember this. I remember that we began to sing together, and it was led by this, um, I, I learned later, he was a former uh, Washington, uh, the team formerly known as the Redskins, when he played, he was a former football player, had this big voice, and he stood, he had everybody stand, much like Raymond did, and, except Raymond told us to sit down and then stand up, and sit down and stand up. <laughs> I don't remember if we did that, Ray, but... Um, but we sang and it was a cappella, which was good because I knew that and it, was a, it was a coffee shop, there was no piano or guitars or anything and we sang and then it was around the time of Advent and someone reminded us about the significance of the coming of Jesus and, and then um, at every table there was a loaf of bread and a pitcher of water that was all. And they called us to this time of communion. And we shared at the tables there bread and, and water and wine and all of that. And then someone from the back, people in the back, started to come out. And they brought la plates of lasagna. It's just one, that's all it was. A simple little square. We had bread and water and lasagna. And they brought little plates out and they set it in front of all of us. And we shared communion and we shared lasagna and we shared, they told us what to be talking about at the table. Hey, here's the discussion thing. And we started talking. And I noticed that as that began to unfold, there were a couple of guys that came in off the street right in the middle of that lasagna. And they stepped inside the door, and I saw a couple of people from a table nearby stand up and motion to them to come in, and they pulled up a few extra chairs at their table, and they told them to sit down, and they waved at the guy at the back, and the guy at the back brought them out and set them down a couple of plates of lasagna too. And they sat there, and they thought, oh my, we hit the jackpot. And they sat there, and they ate with them, and they watched, and they listened to all this happen. Can you hear the wind? of God's Spirit blow across that table in Washington. I've also shared with you the time that I uh, went down from Abilene. I drove down with my friend Roger uh, to Juarez and crossed the border and we met this family out on the outskirts in this barrio in, in, in Juarez. 
where they had no running water and no electricity except what they could pirate off the lines overhead. I've described that for you before. If, if you want the full uh, version of that story, you can see me later. You know, go on and on. But I, I teased you with this being the shortest sermon ever. And I remember when we pulled up, uh, observing around me that, oh, these people live in a level of poverty that I'm not accustomed to. I can't even hardly relate to. Dirt floors, makeshift houses, no running water, little basins outside of each house where they collect water, no electricity. And they rushed out to greet us. They were a little um, missionary family. Young, young children, and they were trying to, they had established a little church in that little barrio, that little section on the outskirts of town. And they came and they greeted us and they embraced us and they said, come and eat with us. And they prepared food. And it was the most amazing food I'd ever had. Not just because of how it tasted, and it tasted really, really good. <laughs> we sat together, and we had these ordinary things, bread and water and lasagna or tortillas and beans and rice. And I could hear the wind of God's spirit blow. There was life there. And God was joining all things together. People so very different, couldn't even speak the same language. Didn't matter because the wind of God's spirit blew across that table. And there was life in Washington and in Juarez. One more, my friend Roger served in the Air Force during the Vietnam War retired at, from Dias Air Force Base and stayed in West Texas. Go figure. But all those years later, he told me the story about how in the early 1960s, one of his jobs was to be stationed out in Oplin, Oplin just outside of Abilene, in the missile silos that at that time were armed with nuclear warheads. And he said... I remember sitting there, and it was the Cuban Missile Crisis, and we were received uh, the word that we were on high alert, which meant that we sat by the phone, and we waited for that phone to ring. And if the phone rang, we picked up the phone, and we listened for the code word. He said it was purple cow. I don't know if he just made that up because he couldn't really tell me what it was, but that's what he said. It was purple cow. Don't quote me on that anywhere. It, it, he might just be making that up. But he said, we listened for the code word, and we knew that if that phone rang and that word was spoken, we launched, and we went down into the ground, and when we came out, the world would never be the same again, and we most likely would never see our families again. He told me that story because... Forty-something years later, he was invited to come back to the silos, which someone had bought and turned into a residence. <clears throat> and there were reporters from Russia who had come over to do a story. 
<clears throat> and they invited him to come, and they went down into the silos, and they sat down together, and they had this conversation about the place and what it meant and the history and the two countries and the tension that had existed before, and lo and behold, exists again. And at one point, Roger told me afterwards, we sat and he said, he was telling me about this interview that he did with these Russian reporters, and they began to say, uh, to talk about the differences between people uh, of different backgrounds and who live in different parts of the world and have different histories and cultures and all of that. I said, well, they asked him about that. And, and I said, Roger, what did you say? And he said, he said, I, I thought long and hard in that moment, and I just said this. He said, friend, it's my sense that if those of us who seem so polarized could just find the space to sit down across from each other at at a table and share a meal that we'd find that those things that we thought divide us so much probably don't matter that much at all. Can you hear the wind of God's Spirit blow across tables? There are a handful of books that have been really, really significant for me in my own learning and thought and formation. One of them is this book called Eucharist. Eucharist. And I won't go on and on um, about that except to say that it gifted me this term. I'll tell you what it is and then don't roll your eyes at me. I'll, I'll, I'll explain it. <laughs> the term is sacramental permeability. And it simply means this. It means something like the idea that the table of the Lord, with all of its holy transcendent significance, is connected to every other table. Sacramental permeability. Make sense? It blew my mind. I had been in church at the Lord's table before I could even choose to do so. <laughs> I, was at, I had gathered with people like you around the table to take the Lord's supper. And this notion that that table, that thing, where we gather around this holy, transcendent moment where God is fully present in the gift of Jesus is connected, that table is connected to every other table, transforming the common and the ordinary bread and water and lasagna and tortillas and beans and rice and you fill in the blank. Every other table in your house, in my house, in every restaurant that we sit at, and every person that gathers around those tables into something holy was transformative for me. 
At our house, there's a long, rather narrow table, right? We can seat about 16 people around that if we put chairs on the ends. One of Gaina's favorite songs is called Crowded Table by the Waylon Jennings. Not, not Waylon Jennings. Don't go looking for Waylon Jennings' song. It's the Waylon Jennings. <clears throat> it's called Crowded Table, and the chorus goes, I want a house with a crowded table and a place by the fire for everyone. Let us take on the world while we're young and able and bring us back together when the day is done. Oh, don't you love that? I love that. I want a house with a crowded table and a place by the fire for everyone. But what I really love is the part of the song that says this. The door is always open. Your picture is on my wall. Everyone's a little broken. And everyone belongs. Everyone's a little broken. And everyone belongs in a house with a crowded table. Why? Because there's a wind that blows from the dawn of creation to the end of time that gathers up all things and all people and breathes life and hope into despair and darkness and anxiety and depression and confusion and doubt. There's a wind that blows at the table. Really, this whole thing here that we're up to in this room right now and when we come back together almost every week at this same time, in this same place, in much this same manner, really this whole thing we do here together in our worship is just a grand procession to the table. That's what it is. It's just a grand procession to the table. And our time at this table here in this room is just a procession to all the other tables where we will play host or hostess or where we will play guest like Jesus that day in Levi's house. It's a procession. Tables ordinary become holy. And you know what? When, Robert, uh, when Roger gave that answer, <clears throat> sitting down, deep down, way down in the ground in that silo, sitting there with those folks, when he thought in that moment about what his answer would be, do you know where he um, told me those words came from? He said, I'd been at the table in church. And that table is connected to all the others and to all things. I hope that when you leave here, that never again will you sit down at a table, your own table in your own house, someone else's table, your coffee table, <laughs> a table at a restaurant without having a sense 
that in common and ordinary ways, that table is connected to the table here, is connected to the table around which God will gather up all things in the end. It's no mistake that when we get to the end of the book in Revelation, that the story of the consummation of all things, of God restoring all things, has all people gathered around a table where everyone's a little broken and everyone belongs. Every one of you a little broken. Every one of you belongs. Thanks be to God. We're in procession this morning on our way to the table and on our way to the table in that procession this morning, we're going to pray. Much as Scott has been inviting us to, week after week after week, we're going to pray together. There will be shepherds, elders around the room. You can find them. You can pray in your seat where you are. Raymond's going to lead us in a song, but that song, which you, I encourage you to sing if you like, but that song is an oper- creating some space in procession to the table for us to pray. Pray with each other where you are. Find someone, an elder, a shepherd to pray with. Everyone here is broken. Everyone here belongs. And if in that moment of prayer you are led to say, I want to surrender my life more fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ I want to know that the wind of that spirit that blows across all time and space inhabits me. We'd love to talk with you about that. We'd love to walk with you right up to the waters of baptism so that you might know new life in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as your life is joined with his. In this moment of prayer, Find some, one of these shepherds around the room, find someone and tell them, I want to know about that. Listen. Can you hear the wind of God's spirit blow? Let's listen. Let's pray together. Would you bow with me now? Come Holy Spirit, fill this place. Blow on us like the wind that stirred all creation in the beginning, like the wind that called forth your people and led them into a new life, like the wind that drove Jesus into the wilderness, like the wind of your spirit that came at Pentecost. Let your spirit breathe life into us, life and hope in Jesus. We turn our hearts to you in this time of worship and prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.